This episode of First Line is sponsored by TrueLearn. TrueLearn is an exam prep company best known for their smart banks that turn your weak areas into your strengths. I decided to partner with TrueLearn because it is the only company I trusted for preparation for Comlex Level 1 and Level 2. Each TrueLearn SmartBank practice question has detailed answer explanations and succinct bottom lines to get the big learning takeaway. For my listeners taking the USMLE, TrueLearn also has an amazing USMLE SmartBank. If you are in your third year, TrueLearn also offers SmartBanks for shelf exams and Comat shelf exams. Go to truelearn.com and use one of my special discount codes for up to $35 off your subscription. Special discount codes can be found in the episode description. Welcome to First Line. My name is Aubrey Ann Jackson, and I am a student doctor in my last year of medical school. First Line brings listeners of all backgrounds together to discuss whole body health and wellness through an osteopathic lens. First Line covers tangible ways to improve your health, how to succeed in medical school, and various topics in healthcare, including mental health, all while holistically addressing the whole person, body, mind, and spirit. This podcast is for informational purposes only. This is not intended to be a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. I encourage you to seek the advice of a physician, a DO, or an MD with any concerns or questions you have about your symptoms or medical conditions. This week on First Line, I'm continuing the conversation about diabetes and specifically focusing on diabetes type 2. This is a continuation of last week's episode where I talked a little bit more about how diabetes is caused and some of the risk factors for diabetes and how to prevent diabetes. And this episode will focus a little bit more on how to manage diabetes after being diagnosed and preventing complications of diabetes as well as treating diabetes So when you have diabetes, it's important to keep your blood glucose under control. So the optimal range that you're looking for is going to be a fasting blood glucose between 80 and 120 mg per deciliter. So that's between meals. So that would be usually done first thing after you wake up. So Patients are encouraged to take these at home every day to take their fasting blood glucose as well as a postprandial blood glucose, which is done one to two hours after a meal. The goal for that is going to be to be below 180 mg per deciliter for that. And so if any of these measurements are more than they should be, there's different factors that can contribute to that. So one is obviously missing doses of medication. Another one is overeating, especially the postprandial ones might mean that you had a meal that was especially big on carbohydrates, specifically simple carbohydrates. But there can be other uh, causes of this too, like uh, having an infection can increase your blood glucose. Being dehydrated can increase your blood glucose. And then stress can also be a cause for hyperglycemia as well. 
So another thing that is needed for patients with diabetes is an annual foot exam, which is done by a physician, so every year. And this is because patients with diabetes have this double risk for having foot ulcerations and perhaps even needing an amputation. So that's why you might see some patients that are amputees because they have diabetes. It's because of foot ulcerations. And so this double risk is the fact that Uh, Diabetics often have neuropathy, which means that they have decreased sensation and they often have vasculopathies or impaired blood perfusion. So think about it if you have a small cut on your foot and you can't really perfuse the area well, so it causes delayed healing and then you also can't even feel it. So many times diabetic patients won't even know that there is an injury or anything there and this ulcer just gets worse and worse so that's why it's always good to do this foot exam and not only is your doctor going to be inspecting for skin changes but they can also look at your risk for getting a foot ulceration in the future so they'll look for your sensation they might use something called a monofilament they'll look for your vibration sense and also your reflexes and the strength of your pulses as well. The leading cause of death in patients with diabetes is actually going to be cardiovascular disease, specifically atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease, which can include things like coronary artery disease and stroke. So to manage the risk factors for cardiovascular disease, One thing that is heavily recommended is smoking cessation. So if you are a smoker and you have diabetes, you have a huge risk for cardiovascular disease. So an important thing, yes, you have to control your blood glucose, but you definitely need to quit smoking. And smoking is still the most important modifiable cause of premature death. Another thing is hypertension. So like I said, a lot of diabetics also have hypertension. So it's important to lower your blood pressure as a diabetic patient especially. Patients with diabetes are especially recommended to be on medications for hypertension. So the ones that especially work well in patients with diabetes is ACE inhibitors, ARBs, which stands for angiotensin receptor blockers, calcium channel blockers, and thiazides. Another thing to look for in diabetics is dyslipidemia, which means an increase of the bad cholesterol, a decrease of the good cholesterol. So patients are often recommended to be on a statin if they have diabetes especially. And then, of course, you know I'm going to talk about this, is uh, lifestyle changes. So weight loss, exercise decreasing fat intake. So all of these things are super important for everyone, but especially patients with diabetes. And of course, glycemic control is going to be important as well for diabetics. Aiming for an A1C below 7% is the goal, and that reduces your risk of retinopathy, nephropathy. There are quite a few drugs used for diabetic patients, but The choice between them is going to vary based off of any comorbidities like existing cardiovascular disease, chronic kidney disease, heart failure, also 
um, effects on body weight. Some of these drugs can cause weight gain, while some are helpful for weight loss. And then there's different side effects involved. There's different costs involved. And then also just patient preferences can come into play. But uh, metformin is the first line therapy alongside lifestyle changes. So, so metformin acts by activating something called the AMP kinase, and it can lead to an A1C reduction between 1 to 2%, and patients either stay at the same weight or they might even lose some weight. Side effects can include lactic acidosis, which usually only happens if you also have kidney disease as well. Otherwise, only really gastrointestinal side effects could come up, like um, some abdominal pain, maybe vomiting and nausea. And it does have evidence of reducing cardiovascular disease risk. So all these factors, especially the fairly low side effect profile, makes it a first line. But with patients with cardiovascular disease, the GLP-1 receptor agonists or SGLT2 inhibitors are often preferred. So GLP-1 agonists, an example is exanatide or liraglutide. Uh, these also reduce A1C about 1-2%. to They can cause weight loss and side effects, also the gastrointestinal side effects, they can also cause pancreatitis and even medullary thyroid cancer. So not common, but can still cause that. These are a lot more expensive, but they do also reduce the cardiovascular risk. And then the SGLT2 inhibitors act in the kidney. Examples include kinoglifosin and empagliflozin. So they have a lower A1C reduction about up to 1%, and they do cause weight loss and reduce risk of cardiovascular disease. They are high cost and side effects include more genitourinary symptoms and dehydration. For patients with heart failure or chronic kidney disease, SGL2 inhibitors are also recommended. And then eventually patients may need insulin, which really is the only one that can overcome the insulin resistance. Um, so it uses exogenous, so outside the body insulin, instead of trying to make your body produce insulin like these other ones do. Um, so that is associated with the biggest A1C reduction, but can unfortunately cause weight gain and have a higher risk of causing hypoglycemia than some of the other agents. And the, the cost is kind of intermediate, but insulin actually is not associated with cardiovascular disease risk reduction. So other ones that you might hear about is sulfonylureas, which are not usually recommended anymore because they are so much associated with uh, side effect of hypoglycemia and cause the, a similar um, A1C reduction as a lot of the other agents and does not decrease cardiovascular disease risk, but they are low cost. So I see a lot of patients that were diagnosed with diabetes years and years ago that were put on a sulfonylurea like glipicide or glimepiride and they just never switched to something different. So I did see that a lot, but it's really not the best agent. 
And then pioglitazone or rosiglitazone, these are associated with weight gain and can exacerbate heart failure and cause edema. They do reduce cardiovascular risk, but not really the best agents. I usually don't see these agents used. And then there's um, DPP-4 inhibitors, which are kind of similar to the GLP-1 agonists, um, but they don't have the same weight loss reduction, but they do have very rare side effects. They aren't really associated with any specific ones, but the cost is high. These are newer agents. And it's important to note that injectables, so a few of these are injectable treatments, and also insulin in itself. There's a lot of stigma around it that patients perceive themselves as being sicker and meaning that they failed, that they weren't able to control their blood glucose enough. But um, this is just not true. Doctors will put patients on whatever medication is going to lead to the best glucose control. So it doesn't mean that there's any failing on the patient's part. Sometimes different agents need to need to be utilized, and sometimes those are the best options. Um, so it's not any kind of punishment for not having a good enough glycemic control. Like I said, cost is an issue as well as different comorbidities like kidney disease is going to limit some of your options. Having heart failure is going to limit some of your options, and there might be a, a better agent for you based off of that. And some patients do have fear of injecting medication with a needle, but I will tell you that um, most patients are really surprised about how easy it is and how they might have expected that it's painful, but it really isn't. And they just do the finger stick glucose monitoring like a pro. And a lot of times they'll say that it's less painful than the finger stick glucose monitoring. Um, so there's really nothing to be scared about. There's a ton of people that are doing this. So you're, you're not alone in it. And it isn't scary once you get starting with it. It will just become part of your day. And some patients um, actually think that insulin or injectables are actually what is causing complications of diabetes, but please do not think that. So usually having to use these medications might mean that you are at higher risk for complications, but there's not a cause and effect at all. In fact, if you stick to your insulin or injectables, you will have a lower rate of comorbidities, so these these complications that can happen. So do not blame the insulin for that. It is just the progression of your diabetes that is causing that. So patients with diabetes, so it's recommended that you get the influenza vaccine every year, as well as the pneumococcal 23-valent polysaccharide, also known as Pneumovax in all adults with diabetes. And then after age 65, there's going to be a second dose that is recommended and provided as long as that is at least five years since the first dose. And then the hepatitis B vaccine 
is also recommended in adults with diabetes as well. So I talked about the annual foot exam, but daily personal foot care is actually important too. So inspecting your own feet and washing them every day and looking for injuries, ulcers, blisters, um, any kind of pain. And if there's dry skin, applying moisturizer. A lot of times patients with diabetes can have drier skin because of their vasculopathy. And also part of this daily foot care is wearing socks and shoes wherever you go and never going barefoot because that can increase your risk of having an injury and then um, having delayed wound healing and maybe even developing an ulcer. Then making sure that you're cutting your toenails or having someone cut them for you is going to be important too to reduce your risk of infections and making sure that your footwear is properly fit. I hope this was a really good overview and really discussing why we care about diabetes and talking about how prevalent it is and how to reduce your risk. And because if you live to 65, one in four of you are going to have diabetes. And if you're an adult, one out of 10 of you probably already have diabetes. And even if you are not in that in that diabetes group, you could still have prediabetes or underlying insulin resistance. So it's important to keep in mind some of these risk factors like having an overweight or an obese BMI, having a diet that is filled with simple carbohydrates or having physical inactivity. So no matter what age you are, if you're listening to this, I challenge you to think about things that you can change in your daily life to decrease your risk of this awful, awful disease and just prevent it in the first place instead of getting this terrible disease and trying to make lifestyle changes that is really hard for some people to have this diagnosis and all of a sudden have to change so much in their in their life and then probably have to go on medication anyway because it is just so hard to change habits so it is really important to change those habits now to just prevent it in the first place keeping in mind that so many risk factors build up on each other like if you are a smoker in addition to being a diabetic or if you have hypertension on top of being a diabetic or you have dyslipidemia on top of being a diabetic it increases your risk of especially cardiovascular disease so much more than one of these things alone so just attacking the issue from all angles which really just comes down to living a healthy life and making good decisions every day I know it's really hard, but starting now and starting small makes a big difference and challenging yourself kind of looking in the long term about if I do this every day, is it going to make me healthy when I am 50 years old, when I'm 60 years old, when I'm 70 years old. Kind of thinking that through. Of course, you don't have to drive yourself crazy. I've talked about this in previous episodes, but what small things can you do? And just just thinking and setting small goals is going to make a big difference. So I hope that this episode on diabetes, I hope that you learned something and I'm sure you know someone in your life that has diabetes and you can be able to understand a little bit more about their disease process and 
what they need to be screened for and what to watch out for and how to reduce your risk of complications and what to look out for for that. So thank you so much for listening and I will talk to you next week. Let me know that you like First Line. If you are listening on Spotify, tap the star to rate the show. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts, scroll down and tap to rate or write a review. Thank you so much for your support. You can follow First Line on Instagram at First Line Podcast or on Facebook, facebook.com slash First Line Podcast. Stay tuned for a new episode every Monday.